Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Divya Inna and welcome to another episode of Talk Water. It's officially summer and the Blue Tech team are heading to the beautiful Kew Gardens this week for our 2019 annual Blue Tech Forum conference. And we're lucky to be joined by a group of 180 water professionals from all over the world, from Australia, Japan, Singapore, the Middle East, Europe and North America, representing a diverse group of industry leaders from innovative tech companies, corporates and utilities to investors and academics. And what's even more special about this year is that for two days, we'll be based in a UNESCO World Heritage Site, surrounded by more than 30,000 different kinds of plants, some of which can be traced back to 1772. And the truth of the matter is that we're all influenced by our environment and, and feel a sense of peace in nature. And it's our hope that in this relaxed environment, at the heart of one of the most vibrant cities in the world, our delegates will find inspirational ideas and be able to collaborate over the next two days. So, for all of our international friends joining us later this week, here are some interesting facts about Kew Gardens. Firstly, did you know that Kew is home to the oldest pot plant? The plant was brought to Kew from South Africa in 1775, which actually makes it a 240-year-old resident in Kew. Secondly, the Kew is also home to the smallest royal palace in the country. The palace is the same size as a small manor house and was actually gifted to the people by Queen Victoria in 1837. Kew also has its own police force. Yes, you heard it right. For over 150 years, Kew Gardens has had its own police force responsible for on-site security. This was established in the mid-1840s and was initially consisting of part-time gardeners and war veterans. And finally... Did you know that Kew Gardens Station is the only stop on the London Underground Network that has a pub attached? So there you go. For all those after-party enthusiasts, you don't have to wander too far, not past a local tube station anyway. So hopefully you were all paying attention to those general knowledge facts. You never know. Might come in handy for a local pub quiz sometime. Anyway, moving on. This month at Bluetech, we've been narrating the story about bioelectrochemical systems or BES systems and that combine biological and electrochemical processes to generate electricity, hydrogen or other useful chemicals. We'd looked into this area back in 2010 and the hype back then was all around the promise of energy generation and neutrality. And while the area still sparks research interest and excitement, the companies that were active or were running field and pilot trials back then are actually no longer operational or have put on hold actively commercializing the technology. So what's happened to this technology over the last 10 years? Is it a case of forgotten but not gone? I'm joined today by Steve Gluck, our technology assessment group member, who will help demystify the topic for us. Steve, welcome and thank you for joining us. As I mentioned earlier, we've seen significant shifts in the market landscape. Tell me, What's been the challenge for bioelectrochemical systems in the last decade or so? Hi, Divya. Nice to be here. Indeed, MFCs, or more accurately described by practitioners as bioelectrochemical systems, or BESs, consist of two product families, with MFCs producing the electrical energy from waste and microbial electrolysis cells, or MECs, producing hydrogen from the electrolysis of water at a lower voltage with the help of microbes. We're both a great promise for the broader goal of energy neutrality. Perhaps this was because of the recognition of the amount of energy held within wastewater that we were using extra energy to destroy. It just kind of doesn't make sense. This recognition led to, deservedly, a lot of attention 
and even some commercial attempts towards what I call a logical capture of energy. Indeed, the time was right for searching for the next big thing 10 or so years ago, and the innovation in MFCs was promising. What we have learned, however, is, not surprisingly, is that it's not simple to scale up from a laboratory, even small pilot systems, to a robust and economical waste treatment operation. There were challenges in materials such as, do you have fouling issues in fuel cell membranes or do you make compromises resulting in lower energy capture? There were challenges in process control and there were challenges in design. How do you wire the whole thing together? How do you do it in a reasonable footprint and how do you prevent or control methane production in the MFCs were just some of the hurdles that burst the enthusiasm balloon. There's certainly been a lot to the MFC story and it continues. If one was viewing this in terms of the Gartner hype curve, the innovation trigger and the peak of inflated expectations was around 2010-2011, when microbial fuel cells in particular were subject of much publicity and hype. Then the, the trough of disillusion would probably reach around 2017, when we realised that bioelectric chemical systems take longer to commercialise, with technologies hovering around the applied research stage for at least 10 years or more. As a technology, it's not a paradigm shift and does not include functionality that is radically different from anaerobic digestion, I think. However, it does have value in augmenting anaerobic digestion process, so can be categorized as sustaining innovation. Anaerobic treatment is a big hurdle to overcome as such a competitor. So, as the vernacular goes, if you can't beat them, join them. A weakness of anaerobic treatment is the slow acetogenesis step for methane production. This is a step that produces hydrogen, which is used in a biochemical route for the methane producing step of methanogenesis. It can be the slowest step in the process in anaerobic treatment for methane production. And now several companies are exploring and offering bioelectrochemical systems to generate hydrogen in anaerobic treatment systems. Others have focused on how much energy you can capture from bioelectrochemical systems versus anaerobic treatment. Indeed, if energy is the key issue, a scaled-up MFC will likely produce comparably less energy than today's anaerobic treatment systems. But that focus is muddling in the trough of disillusionment. So, in terms of its sweet spot then, Steve, where do bioelectrochemical systems sit on the BOD concentration spectrum? Does it sit near the, near the low concentration aerobic treatment side, or does it sit near the high-loading anaerobic treatment side? Well, that's an interesting question. Owing to the relative complexity of BESs, I think that the sweet spot will not be in dilute wastewater treatment such as seen in municipal treatment, but moreover, in more concentrated systems. More concentrated systems require more intensified treatment and can thus afford a more capital-intense treatment option. That being said, there are no commercial BESs operating beyond demonstration scales of at least 50 cubic meters per day which would certainly be needed to address municipal wastewater. Well, going forward, we'll have to see how things evolve. If I look at those who have the most experience, I certainly see a thrust in the hybrid systems of BESs deployed within anaerobic treatment and also as a biosensor to monitor biotreatment and in particular anaerobic treatment as an option. Consider the impact of a biosensor, what a biosensor can have on process control. We know advances in process control are always important for process optimization. We also know that there are no good sensors for BOD or COD destruction 
or they are expensive instrumentation and sampling system for surrogate messers such as TOC. However, with regards to your question of BESs in energy neutrality, I don't see them playing a major role at this point. I do, however, see them as having potential traction in hybrid systems. I think they are complicated and relatively expensive compared to other options. If the user sees otherwise, MFCs could potentially find utility in some small flow high BOD, high solids wastewaters. However, overall, I hope I'm proving wrong and that these scale up and do become a significant option in five to 10 years from now for the energy neutrality question. Thanks for that, Steve. And for all Bluetech clients, you'll have access to our report on the Bluetech intelligence platform, which includes a landscape review of companies active in the space and a cross comparison of their technology offerings. Now, next, I catch up with Reese Owen to find out what else Bluetech are up to this month. Reese, welcome and thanks for joining us. Take us through some of the work Bluetech have been doing this month. Sure. Well, this month we have uh, once again completed uh, a market data survey updating some uh, figures from two years ago. And we've been looking at the market for membrane aerated bioreactors or MABRs. Uh, now, MABRs essentially work by delivering oxygen more efficiently to the microorganisms within the wastewater treatment plants, which help break down waste. Uh, and that involves dramatic energy savings. Uh, it was pioneered by GE, now Suez, uh, and they still currently dominate the market with their solution. Uh, there are two other significant players, Fluent and Oxima. Now, this technology first came into being 13 years ago and is only now reaching early adopter stage. Uh, there are around approximately 16 commercial plants existing, uh, but we expect this growth to carry, uh, to accelerate. Uh, a lot of the plants existing uh, have been demonstration plants, and now that uh, many of these plants have proved themselves technically, commercially, uh, financially, and there are examples that utilities can see and such, we expect that market to take off uh, much more. So we're looking for solid growth there. Great. We also, in our briefing, uh, analyze some trends within the oil and gas sector in the US. Mm -hmm. to go to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, a proposed expansion of drilling offshore in the uh, US has been cancelled and a legal challenge which aimed at increasing regulations around oil and gas wastewater has been rejected. Uh, this would have treated oil and gas wastewater in the US in the same class as other kinds of waste considered hazardous. Mm -hmm. At the moment, uh, regulation is left to the state level. Uh, if this challenge to the EPA had been upheld, uh, this would have meant massively increased costs for the oil and gas industry and with knock-on effects, of course, for produced water and treatment. Uh, moving over to the world of sensors and analyzers, uh, we cover the bankruptcy of Optiqua. This is a Netherlands-based company which supplied a, a series of sensors with, with a very elegant technology, uh, but rather complex. Uh, it involved measuring changes in the refractive index of water as a general generic, non-specific marker of uh, possible contaminants or changes in the water. Um, now, that company has gone out of business thanks to a, or due to a failed funding round, but the IP has been purchased by another company 
And as we talk about the blue tech, often the selfish water technology gene, uh, yes, companies' right. technology is often resurfaced after a company's failure. Yep. And that looks to be what might well happen here. The gene certainly lives on, albeit from in different forms and in, under different names. But uh, yeah, you're right. The IP lives on. Exactly. Yeah. Often the time hasn't been right, or it's a different team, or it's just been a question of funding. Um, with Optiqua, we think that a possibility is that in in following uh, in trying to get the utilities market, uh, the company has missed the trick by not applying its technology to industrial markets, and and the new buyer of the IP is a manufacturing equipment supplier called Demcon, which also manufactures medical devices. So you can see the possible route that that, might, that technology might take. Yeah. And finally, we join in on the hype behind temperature swing solvent extraction. This is a desalination method which has received a lot of attention in industry uh, due to a research paper published by Columbia University. So tag expert Steve Gluck takes a closer look behind the height and some of the claims behind this technology, which is a solvent-based extraction process. Uh, in other words, using a solvent to draw either the water or the salt out of the brine, depending on which variant you use, and then separating it again, usually by subjecting it to a higher temperature. Uh, so this has actually been around since the 1960s, and Steve takes us through the variations and the possibilities of this new variant of, of that uh, quite long-established technology. So, yeah, lots lots to see and to read this month. Thanks very much, Reese. That sounds very interesting. A good mix of policy with oil and gas, um, technology and market adoption with the MABR analysis, as well as the solvent extraction piece from Steve Gluck. Thanks, David. Thank you. With that, I'd like to wrap this month's episode We look forward to meeting all of our clients in London. And for those who aren't able to join us, don't worry, we won't let you miss out on all the action. We'll be sharing outputs in the form of short thematic briefings following the conference. So until next time, stay tuned.